0: My name is Lori Weber and I've been a Christian most of my life and uh, I've been involved in uh, athletics for a long time and uh, I was a national class runner. I, was, uh, I ran for a uh, Reebok shoe company. I was one of the first sponsored athletes years ago. They had a race called the Ultimate Runner Competition. It determined the best all-round runner in the world. And you ran a 10 a 400 meters, 100 meters, and a mile and a marathon all in one day. Um, I was blessed, I won that event, set a record in the an event, and I had um, that background. And so I was coaching uh, Olympic trials athletes in the area, people who wanted to do that. I felt like I had some significance or success in my life, but not a significance. I don't know, I was in my 50s, and I had a, kind of a, a revelation at that point, and uh, I just felt a calling, if you will, to, to help kids so I started um, coaching um, at a Christian school and you know primarily to help kids develop their faith uh, more strongly and so I coached for many many years at a local high school and and um, and uh, just talk kids through that experience about Jesus and uh, how to apply running, if you will, to their life in in Christ. Running is such a great tool. Uh, it teaches perseverance. It teaches grit. It teaches uh, so many things that uh, you know relate to scriptures. Encouraging one another, uh, helping one another. And one of the things that's really important to me is uh, Philippians 4:13 is my life verse. You know, we can all do all things through Christ who gives us strength. And so that's kind of the main message, if you will, of our uh, programs that I've had is, is just leaning on Christ. I'm retired and that's what I do. I, I took a year off, I missed it. I coached quite a while and I really missed that. And uh, you know, I'm continuing to coach now in the community and helping kids uh, develop their faith through sport. That's really uh, my ministry.
1: Well, good morning. Well, they said it was going to be snowy and icy and the church would be empty and they were wrong. So you guys are awesome and you guys online as well. I, I love Larry's story because one of the great things about it is whatever your passion is, whatever you're into, you can find a way to use that for God. Like, find a way to just use what he's given you that you're good at, you're passionate about. And I promise you that you can do more with that than just this earthly life. You can use it for, to impact someone's eternity, to impact uh, lives around you. And he's found a way to do that with his running. And so I just think it's so cool. And uh, I just want to encourage you. You are good at things. Please take those things and use that for, for God, all right? Um, I want to tell you a quick fun story. A number of years ago, uh, we had a fun run in our church. I actually uh, organized it for the first time as some sort of fundraiser, and I was 24 years old, and I led the young adults ministry, kind of the 18 to the 20s, and um, I was 24 and cocky. I was younger, faster, better looking in those days. And so I said to the young adults class, I said, if anybody in this age group can beat me, I will give $100 for each person who can beat me to missions, to speed the light, to help buy cars for missionaries, because I knew it couldn't happen (laughs) until until the first guy I had no idea was a runner just ran past me and never slowed down. And I thought, that's not good. I should have told my wife about this bet I made. (laughs) And then another guy ran past me, and I was like, there goes another Benjamin Franklin right there, you know. And, I, and so, I, so I, I was like, okay, well, honey, we got to write another $200 check to missions because I was cocky. So if you're going to be young and cocky, at least bet on God and not on something else. So, so we did that. By the way, a funny story. This morning, my wife said to me, I've got to write a tithes and offering check, but it's coming to $666. Six, six, six. So she wrote it for 667 because you always want to be more generous than God, right? Rather than less. I, I thought that was funny today. Um, so, so then not only in that race did I, did I take third in the young adults, but um, there was this guy running the race. His name was Larry Weber. And I didn't know he was the ultimate runner in the 80s for the entire nation. And I looked at him and I was like, this guy's like 37. <laughs> like, like I'm 24. Like, he doesn't have a chance. After he finished the race, he did a cool down and came back and found me on the track, you know, and went back. It was awesome, so whatever you're good at, use it for God, all right? We're in a a series, this is actually part six of a six-part series, and it's entitled Call to Be a Disciple, and we're talking about greatness today, and uh, being great in God's eyes, not in the world's eyes or in your own eyes, and I want to just challenge you with this thought. It's easy for us uh, as humans to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to, and that never works out well. Also, it's easy for you to think more lowly of yourself than you ought to, and that hurts you, but it also hurts others. Because when you're thinking lowly of yourself, you don't stand up, you don't rise up, you don't you don't pray, you don't lead, you don't step up in faith what God's asking you to do because you don't think that you can. And so, both of those problems, uh, pride and insecurity, are those cousins that get in the way uh, of our lives. And so, I want to challenge you today um, to get your understanding of what greatness is from God and not from the world. Listen, you live in this world, and whether you want to admit it or not, the world around you shapes your values. Like, you just, it's just everywhere. Like, it's just like what everybody thinks around you kind of just rubs off on you. And so, it's important that we say, okay, God, I want to make sure that I'm living my life in a way that honors you and that you shape who I become. Uh, A funny uh, thing happened this week. my, I was uh, just talking to my, my wife yesterday, and I was sharing with her about something that someone does that kind of annoys me. And in an incredible, must-have-been-a-Holy-Spirit moment, she was able to say, well, you kind of do that too. <laughs> you know that thing that annoys you? Like, you kind of do that too. And I was like, I, I, I do do that. I think you're right. I, And the longer I thought about it, the more I, I realized... I'm wrong. She's right. It was bound to happen in 24 years of marriage, and so, so it happened yesterday, and I, w- I was thinking about that. I was just like, wow, like, and, and somebody said last year, maybe the year before, a, a sentence. that's just so powerful. It said, what would it be like to be married to you? I'm pretty sure it'd be heavenly, right? You know, like, and I thought, wow, the more I thought about it, I don't know that I'd be easy to be married to. I think I'm the king of the remote in my house, You know, and maybe I'm not. And What would it be like to be married to you? Or what would it be like to have you for a parent? Or how easy would it be to raise you as a kid? Uh, I had a question for the staff. I did evaluations with all of our pastors and directors here in our church. And I asked a question I've never asked before. And it was this. This is the question. Just just, I don't know where I got it from. But is there anything about your personality or your work style uh, that you think might make it hard for others to work with you? No, there's nothing about my personality or work style that would be hard to work with, right? And it's a challenging thought to kind of look at ourselves and say, well, maybe, maybe there's some things in me that probably could be better and should be better in my life. Um, some of you, honestly, like being, you being married to you, you would find yourself annoying sometimes. And I was looking for a, a quote I read last summer from C.S. Lewis. Uh, it's in this book, uh, uh, Daily Readings from his classic works. And of course, C.S. Lewis wrote many, many incredible stories and, and works. But this one is a lot of his um, thoughts about the Lord and, and also some thoughts about marriage. And he said something so powerful. It's in this section, it's, and it's entitled um, uh, C.S. Lewis, Grieving the Death of His Wife Joy, the July 15th reading. And he wrote this about marriage. He said, marriage is a sinful woman... Married to a sinful man, two of God's patients, not yet cured. Let me just read it one more time. Marriage is a sinful woman married to a sinful man, two of God's patients, not yet cured. Isn't that powerful? Like, we're, we're never going to be perfect. We're, we're two uh, of God's patients, and we're trying uh, to live a life that honors him. We want to be great in God's eyes. Um, if you have your Bible, Matthew 18 is where we're at today. And we're talking about um, this question that the disciples asked. If, as you turn there, let me remind you, um, if you don't know yet, we actually just decided this week, on uh, March 17th, two weeks from this Friday, there's going to be a prayer and worship night. Uh, maybe just, you know, I don't know, hour or two of just, just, just prayer and worship and pressing into God. Have you noticed that uh, at least at this church, the altar is flooded every time people come to church? Like people are hungry for God, people are worshiping God, like the, the attendance should be lousy and it's not, like it's fun to see what God is doing. So it, this might be a good night to put on your calendar right now, Friday night, March 17th. Um, you're not going to the St. Patrick's party, you're going to worship God, right? <laughs> um, but just a really cool opportunity if you want to go to that, all right? Matthew chapter 18, it says this, <clears throat> uh, in, in, in a, well let me, let me start with this. Last service, I got so excited, I'm ahead of the game, all right? So let me just give you the title of this message. So the title of this message today is simply this, who is the GOAT? Who's the GOAT? Where's all the sports fans around here? Because you guys know what this means, right? How many know what G-O-A-T stands for? Greatest of all time, all all right? So um, there's recently been a lot of debate, you know, is, is LeBron James the greatest basketball player of all time, or is Michael Jordan? How many would vote for LeBron James, greatest basketball player of all time? Come on, be honest, throw it up there. How many say Michael Jordan? It's an old school crowd today, all right? So if you don't know, LeBron James broke the all-time scoring record from Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and it's a big debate. And sometimes there's a debate, you know, is, is Babe Ruth the best baseball player? You know, who's the best golfer or the best quarterback of all time? And what's interesting about humans is we love to have discussions. Who's the greatest of all time? We'd love to rank people and and kind of figure that out and have our opinions about who is the GOAT, who is the greatest one of all times. And and the reality is this, you know, people do this, uh, we we rank people, we rank like best athletes, uh, best actors, um, best musicians. How about this, greatest musical artist of all time? The answer is, what what do you think? Turn to the person next to you and say, this is the greatest band of all time. Go ahead, say it. What do you think? How many said The Beatles. How many said Michael Jackson? How about the Eagles? Peter DeGon? I don't know. Like, <laughs> like we have our list. We have, you know, sometimes I kind of go, when they say the 10 best places live, the top 10 bosses, the best businesses. And it's curious. We all are kind of like, oh, I wonder who's on that list. And we love making these lists in, in our world. And we just see more like the 100 greatest football players, right? Like, it's like on TV, of the greatest 100 baseball players today. And we like to rank and file and, and kind of debate on who that is. In fact, there was a moment a few years back, there was a, a base runner named uh, Ricky Henderson, super fast baseball player, and he was coming up on breaking the all time record for stolen bases. And, you know, it's kind of a big deal when one of these all-time records goes down. And so, uh, he, you know, you knew he was going to do it, and they kind of cut to it on the TV, and he's on second base, and he, he races to steal third base, and he steals third base. And I don't know how they, I, they stop the whole game, and often, like, there's, you know, they give him the ball, and he gives it to his wife, and he takes it home or whatever. And they stop the game, and he's standing on third base, and they bring a microphone out to third base in the middle of the baseball game. And I'm thinking, this is kind of like important who wins this, but we're going to stop the whole thing for individual award. And Ricky Anderson, I don't know how he meant it to come out, but he, he was chasing, you know, Lou Brock for that record. And he stood on third base, and he was searching for that record, and he said, today, I'm the greatest of all time. And I was like, I don't think that came out exactly like you wanted it to. You know, it just came out a little bit arrogant. Like, I don't think he meant to say it that way. And it contrasts with Lou Gehrig. If you remember the story of Lou Gehrig, Uh, A famous baseball player still in his prime, and he gets Lou Gehrig's disease, or he gets ALS. And he stands in front of Yankee Stadium, and you might have seen the famous clip. It's a black and white clip, and he takes off his hat, and he puts it behind his back. And he said, today, 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 I consider myself, myself, the luckiest man on the face of the earth. And it just reverberated the microphone through the stadium. And there was such a humility about that. In our world today, it is so easy to get caught up in trying to be great Or sometimes thinking that we could never be great. But if we could define ourselves, if we could define greatness God's way, it might change everything. So here we go, Matthew chapter 18. And we're going to talk about the goat. And it's interesting, the disciples are having the same discussion that we have here today. Matthew chapter 18 verse 1 says this, About that time the disciples came to Jesus and they asked him, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? What is it with humans? And we like to rank each other and understand this, right? Jesus, who's the greatest? Maybe you have seen some of the scriptures. Jesus, can we sit at your right and your left? Jesus, can we go with you? Uh, People wanted to be close to him. Jesus, who is the greatest? And when I first read that, I was like, well, maybe they're expecting Jesus going to say Moses or Elijah or David or John the Baptist or one of these answers. But then you read Luke chapter 9, verse 46, and Luke describes it uh, a little bit more. He says, then his disciples began arguing which one of them was the greatest. It's even worse, right? Lord, there are 12 of us. I'm pretty sure I'm in the top half. I know I'm ahead of Judas, right? I'm at least 11. Like, where do I rank? The disciples are arguing amongst themselves, and I don't know if Jesus picks up on it, reads their minds, if they, you know, they come to him, and eventually, and, and they ask this question. What's really interesting is that Jesus doesn't say, you selfish, prideful idiots, why could you ask that question? He doesn't do that. He doesn't, he doesn't like, lambast them for it. He actually uh, takes their question and, and uses the question as a teachable moment. Let's talk about greatness. That's a great question. Who, who is the greatest in the kingdom? Let's, let's talk about that. Uh, together. Why might the disciples have even asked this question? Jesus had already said that there were some distinctions in heaven, which we don't fully understand. Recently, three of them were chosen to go up the mountain with him, and the Bible says Jesus was transfigured into his heavenly state, and three of them got to see it, Peter, James, and John. Peter is repeatedly singled out as Jesus prepares him for a leadership role among the early church. So Jesus doesn't condemn the question. Perhaps it's understandable. Here's the reality. In that culture, amazing as this is to think, they actually like, looked around at each other and ranked themselves and compared themselves even more than we do today. Can you imagine that? What culture could do that any more than we do today? Now, maybe it's different because we have the media today. But they would look around and say, well, that person's got more tassels on them, and they've got a more religious clout or power, and the Sadducees and the Pharisees, and there's all this ranking and caste systems, and people thinking, who's, who's the greatest, who's the best, who's, who's the most religious, or who's, who's the most righteous? And so Jesus takes the question and says, let's talk about this. Let's understand this a little bit better. Uh, as we get into this, I want to challenge you with this thought. Um, maybe even repeat this after me. I don't need people to think I'm great. You don't need people to think you're great because God thinks you're great. Like on your life, like the, like the painting of your life in the lower right-hand corner, it says designed by the living God. So you're great because the artist who made you is the living God, right? So you're already great because you're created in his image. And then Jesus is going to help them understand this. Listen, the world fights for status. Be different. You don't have to be the richest. You don't have to be the smartest. You don't have to be the best-looking or the funniest or, or the most gifted, uh, people have the wrong idea what's most important in life. And Jesus is going to change that with these next couple verses in the scripture. True greatness is found differently. Um, verses 2 and 3 says this. This is what Jesus says. So then Jesus called a little child to him as he was talking to them. And he put the child among them. And then he said, I tell you the truth. Unless you turn from your sins and become like little children. Unless you repent and become like this little child. You will never get into the kingdom of heaven. Whoa, this is intense. First of all, there's some kid somewhere who was Jesus' object like, lesson that day. So that's kind of a cool story. And then Jesus, in this Roman world where children have no rights, they're dependent on others to care for them, um, brings this kid up there, and he says, you've got to become like this kid. You've got to turn from God and admit that you don't know it all. There's got to be a know-it-all somewhere in this church gathering. You've got to admit that you don't know it all, right? And you have to say, I need, I need help. I'm like a kid growing up. Some of us, we look at kids and we go, man, they're, they're humble. They know they don't know it all. They're growing. They're learning. Um, you know, whatever it is, maybe they're sincere. They're innocent. I don't know all the things that you might think why Jesus would take a kid. I think the number one thing that Jesus is saying is, listen, kids know they're dependent on someone bigger than them for help. God, you are big and I am small and I recognize that. That is a really good place to start, isn't it? I'm dependent on you because you're the living God. And there's no part of me that says, God, I don't need you. I don't, Jesus, I don't need your death on the cross. That was a waste of your time to go to the cross to pay for my sins. I'm holy enough without you. No, no. Jesus is saying, be like this kid. Repent of your sins and turn to God and say, I'm dependent on you for your help because I'm a broken sinner and I need a savior. So Jesus grabs this kid and well, they don't really have a lot of status for kids in those days. When you're a teenager, come back and you can actually do some more work. And, you know, but when you're a kid, what do you do? The boys can at least go to school. The girls can't in that time. And Jesus says, repent uh, and, and turn from your sins and, and become like children. Then you'll understand. Then you can enter in the kingdom of heaven. Humble yourself, repent of your sins, and turn to God. All too often, I think God's adult humans are like two-year-old kids who try to tell God how to drive. Got some ideas for you, God, how you could do things better down here. Verse 4 says this. So Jesus went on to say, so anyone who becomes as humble as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. They're sincere. Church, we got to guard against this tendency of cynicism. We can become cynics in the world. We can grow older and we can think that we're too sophisticated for a, a simple faith in God. We could try to put God under a microscope and define him and tell him who he, who he can be. Listen, there is this simple understanding, Lord, you are big and I am small. You are big and I am strong. You're the creator of the universe and I'm creation. And so, Lord, I depend on you and I want your help and I turn to you for, for help. This is becoming like a child and inviting him into your life. So maybe we should ask a question, how should we define greatness? Greatness. How should we define greatness? How do you define greatness in your life? The world's telling you what's great. Are you athletic? Are you attractive? Are you intelligent? Listen, if you are getting older, then I have bad news for you if you're really attractive, right? It's going to take a whole lot more surgery and makeup and all those kind of things. If you're really athletic, man, it's not going to stay that way. The older I get, the faster I was, the higher I jumped. What, What about intelligence? Those things fade away. The best answer I can come up with, am I living my life the way God wants me to? That makes my life great. Are you living your life the way that God wants you to? That's greatness. And then Jesus goes into some extreme examples to really make a point. Verse 5, it says this, anyone who welcomes a little child on my behalf is welcoming me. But if you cause one of these little ones who trust in me to fall into sin, it would be better for you to have a large millstone tied around your neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. Listen, if you are a Christ follower, wherever you go, anywhere you go, you are called to be an example, especially to young ones, especially to new people in your faith. You're called to be an example everywhere you go. And it's important that you do so. Lord, help me to be the light of the world and help me to live up to that understanding that you want me to be the light of the world in my life. Be an example everywhere you go. I had a great illustration for that last service, and I forgot what it was. It was awesome. <laughs> Verse 7 says, I'll, I'll remember and I'll get back to it, all right? This, this challenge for us is to be an example. I mean, literally, like you can't just go, well, everybody else got to do it. I'm just going to be my own person. No, wherever you go, people are looking up to you. People are looking at you. You know, I I raised my kids in this church. And I thought, boy, I hope people in this church are kind. I hope they're generous. I hope the conversations they hear outside in the parking lot, in the lobby, when they're, you know, around church people, that that it's representing God. I remember the, uh, thanks to her, anybody who just prayed for me, I remember the illustration, all right? Uh, A few years back, we had a a youth ministry time. And our youth pastor at the time said, uh, "We're, we're teaching on generosity. And they got a great idea. And so they called Domino's and they ordered One pizza. One pizza. And they took an offering in the room among like 70 teenagers and the youth leaders. And they invited the Domino's worker to come into the youth center where they had just taught. And and she came in the room kind of like um, in the middle of like a gathering of teenagers, right? Like kind of awkward. And he said, and it's on video, I love it. He's on the microphone. He says, hey, um, gets to know her name. He says, hey, I just want you to know that we're teaching on generosity. We ordered this pizza. We really didn't need pizza, but we just wanted to receive an offering. And so we have a tip for you today for over $500. Would that be okay? And just blew her away. Now, ever since that day, I don't order from Domino's on the True Grace phone because I know they expect (laughs) a crazy tip if I do that. (laughs) Crazy. But what an example. Like, the people of God are generous. The people of God are kind. The people of God, wherever they go, they're a light. They're not representing God poorly. They're representing God well. Jesus calls us to be an example, especially to the little ones, and takes it very seriously. And then in verse 7, he says, What sorrow awaits the world because it tempts people to sin. Temptations are inevitable. Come on, you're not the only one that's tempted. Sometimes it's like, oh man, this is so hard for me. Everybody's tempted with thoughts or actions, attitudes in our lives that are displeasing to God. Temptation is inevitable, but... What sorrow awaits the person who does the tempting? Don't lead others to sin. So if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better to enter eternal life with only one hand or one foot than to be thrown into the eternal fire with both of your hands and feet. And Jesus goes on to say, and if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better to enter eternal life with only one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. What is Jesus saying in such an intense, incredibly uh, powerful way? Listen, why does Jesus take sin so seriously? Why is he giving them this crazy illustration like this is how important it is. Let me just stress to you, uh, help you understand. And the answer is this. He doesn't want you separated from him. He doesn't want you separated from him. like Sin separates you from God. And Jesus said so clearly they didn't come into the world to condemn the world. In fact, it's the opposite. He came into the world to rescue the world, to save the world from their sin so they wouldn't go to hell. That's the God that we serve He takes sin seriously, and here's the reality. Humans have a tendency to go, eh, it's just natural to me. It's just common to to mankind. It's not a big deal. And we need the Holy Spirit to to convict us and challenge us and stir up in us a desire to live a life that's more righteous, uh, to please God. Not because we're afraid of hell. Sometimes that's a good start. The reality is I just want to be close to God. I want him to be pleased with my life. Listen, we got to be willing to, to avoid eternal judgment at any and all cost. I learned a statement when I was young, there is nothing in hell I want. <laughs> you know, there's nothing in hell I want. There's a lot in heaven that I do want. Verse 10 it says this, beware that you don't look down on any of those little ones, for I tell you that their heavenly Father that in heaven their angels are always in the presence of my heavenly Father many have taken the scripture to think perhaps that each one of us has a guardian angel or maybe more than one guardian angel. Some of you, you might have a guardian angel. And when you get to heaven, I think they're going to look at you and go, dude, you kept me so busy. <laughs> Just the way you drove. Like, like, they're not happy with you. Give them a break if that's true. I, I, I don't fully know Uh, The part that grabs me is looking down on someone. Don't despise those who you think maybe uh, are on the spiritual ladder somehow less than you, younger than you, or younger in the faith than you. Listen, everyone is equally loved by God. And if you're new in the faith, be an example. That's what the Bible says, be an example in your youth. God's kingdom, God's understanding is different than our understanding. Listen, I I don't think that there's this like, First class and then the rest of you in the kingdom of God. There's no like, well, there's Billy Graham and Mother Teresa, but the rest of you in the back of the plane, right? There's just, we all need Jesus. We all need God's forgiveness. We all have issues in our life and we need his help. Jesus said, if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, humble yourself, repent of your sins, turn to God. Realize that you're dependent upon him for who he's called and created you to be. Listen, you can't live the life that he's created you to live without him. You need him to live the life that he's created you to live. And let me just take us to the scripture, um, kind of lands the plane here. Jesus washed his disciples' feet. What a crazy story. Has anybody actually physically like, had a, like a, a, maybe a, a basin of water? And has anybody here ever actually washed somebody else's feet, like maybe in your life? Yeah, maybe there's maybe 20 people that have done that, maybe 25. It's a very humbling illustration uh, I remember being in a church service, and they said, we're going to wash everybody's feet. We're going to wash the person's feet to our right. And I was like, oh, no. You know, like, I don't, and, and people are like, I don't want to take off my sock." Very awkward, very uncomfortable. And it's so strange to have someone kneel down before you and, like, wash your feet. I was on a mission trip with our church. We are in the Dominican Republic, and there was grown men, middle-aged men, older men. And these young people, these young adults that were on the mission field came up to us and and they washed our feet and there was worship happening and, and they took the water and they took your foot and they, they prayed over you. And tears just went down all these guys' faces. It's so humbling to have someone come and wash your feet. There's something powerful about it. Take that and times it by 100. And this is what Jesus did. He got up from the mill and he took off his outer clothing. He wrapped a towel around his waist after that, he poured water into a basin and he began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And he came to Simon Peter who said, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Peter saying, Jesus, you don't understand. Like great people have their feet washed. They don't do the washing. This is backwards. I should be washing your feet like all of us should be. You're going to wash Judas' feet. You're going to wash Thomas's feet. You're going to wash my feet. This shouldn't be the way it is. And Jesus turns that thing upside down. He says, the first shall be last, the last shall be first. And I came to serve, not to be served. Peter says, what are you doing, Lord? And Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. And Peter said, "You listen, you're ne- you shall never wash my feet. Like, I'm not going to let you. And Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. And then Simon Peter replied, well, then not just my feet, but my hands and head as well. And I kind of like that statement, because when, I, when somebody says, do you want more of the Holy Spirit in your life? I say, I want as much of the Holy Spirit as God wants to give me. Jesus said very clearly, I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. He's going to be with you. And I want as much of God as I can have in my life, even the mysterious parts of God we can't see or fully understand. Then Jesus answered, those who have had a bath only need to wash their feet, Peter. Their whole body's clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you, for he knew that one was going to betray him. And when he finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes, and he returned to his place. And he said, do you understand what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, so you should also wash another's feet. Wash each other's feet. And verily, truly, I say to you, no servant is greater than his master. No messenger is greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. Listen, church, if we're going to be like Jesus, we're not going to say, here I am. I'm the greatest. You're welcome. My presence is here today. No, you're going to walk in the room and you're going to be, how can I serve you? How can I help you? How can I bless you? Because I want to be like Jesus, and Jesus came to serve. And if you're not serving, listen, you can serve in this church. You can serve in this city. You can serve people in your home. You can serve at your workplace and do so in a way that honors God. Jesus came and he said, listen, follow me. Serve the world. Serve one another. Don't chase the world's definition of greatness. The first shall be last, and the last shall be first. And listen, sometimes in this world, you're going to lay down your life. You're going to lay down your life for your family, for people you're trying to minister to, and they're going to bite you for trying to help them. Or they're going to turn around and say, thanks, whatever, and just, they're not even going to say thank you. They're just going to turn and walk away. You pour out your money. You pour out your time. You pour out your energy, and you feel taken for granted. Hello, this happens to all of us. We're trying to serve God in this world, and I love this thought, and I, I, I keep it in my heart and, and hopefully yours as well. Listen, you, you, what you do, you might go unnoticed on earth, but you're never unnoticed in heaven. God sees all the ways that you sacrifice and you give and you pour out your life, and it doesn't go unnoticed in heaven. Greatness is serving, and listen, sometimes that serving, no one sees it, no one knows it, but God does. God knows what you've done in secret. God knows what you've done to help others. God knows the times that you've been hurt for trying to help. And I'm so grateful for that. Jesus said so clearly, many who are the greatest now in this life will be the least important then. And those who seem least important now will be the greatest then. So our prayer today is simply this. Lord, I don't want to be great in my own eyes. I want to be great in In your eyes, not the world, not myself. Before we bow our heads to pray, I want to just uh, challenge you with a thought. There's a movie out right now called Jesus' Revolution. How many have seen Jesus' Revolution? Just came out this weekend. Yeah, a bunch of people. Incredible story, um, move of God. And um, I haven't seen it yet, but I'm hoping to see it in the next couple days. But a friend of mine quoted this movie, and I think it's so powerful. The majority of us here today, we're probably not thinking higher of ourselves than we ought to. We're all human. we all very capable of pride, doing things the way we want. So that's, of course, always there. But I get the sense that oftentimes the people of God view themselves lower than they ought to. I'm not good enough. God can't use me. And the quote from this movie I think is so powerful is this. Don't be so arrogant to think God can't use your failures. Would it be okay if God took your weaknesses and your failures and he used them? Don't be so arrogant to think that God can't, can't use your failures. I love it. Lord, where I am weak, you are strong. And if you can take my failures and you can make greatness out of them, oh, Lord, please do. Please take my pain. And redeem it to help somebody else. Would you bow your heads with me? The disciples came to Jesus and they said, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? The disciples began arguing about which one of them was the greatest. Lord, today, don't let us be self centered. God, don't let us compare ourselves to people around us and wonder if we're good or great. Don't let us put ourselves down because we don't think we're good enough. Lord, you're the greatest, and we're fine with that. You are big. We are small. You are strong and we are weak. The world's status doesn't matter in eternity. So God, help us to become like kids. Help us to recognize our need for you. I can't do this myself. And so I repent of my sin and I turn to God. If you're here today and you've not been living for the Lord, Maybe there's a specific reason why. And maybe you just haven't come to that decision. Your sin separates you from God. Jesus takes your sin seriously because he loves you deeply and doesn't want you separated from him. He came not to condemn you, but to save you from your sin and yourself. If you're here today and you are committing your life to Christ, or you're saying, Lord, I need you, and I acknowledge that, maybe the first time, maybe, maybe for the 20th time. But if the Holy Spirit's just reminding you, you've got to admit, you've got to acknowledge, you need me. Would you raise your hand really high? I want to pray for you. Yeah, 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 yeah. Too many to count all of them. Thank you. Maybe, maybe 10. Anybody else want to raise their hand? I'm going to pray for you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm going to ask a second question if you're here today and you find yourself thinking more lowly of yourself than you probably should. You don't think you're good enough. You constantly look in the mirror. You constantly talk yourself down. And the pride of your life is not arrogance. It's insecurity. And the Lord's saying, don't rank yourself. Be who I called and created you to be. Today in church, The Spirit's word to you. Don't think of yourself like that. Don't put yourself down like that. Don't compare yourself. Be who I created you to be. If that's you, would you raise your hand really high? Honestly, Pastor, I struggle with self-image and all those things. Yeah. Anybody else? Yeah. Yeah. You can put it down after you raise it. Let's pray together. Jesus, we want to be disciples. We want to be real people of faith in a world where it's really hard to be a person of faith. God, we want to follow you. We don't want to just believe in God. We want to actually live for God and follow your teachings and try to do what you would have us to do in this life. And not just follow you, Lord, but beyond being a disciple, we want to be an apostle because we want to be sent out ones who serve the world around us. And instead of living in fear that we're not good enough or we'll mess up, Lord, if you will take our failures and if you will use them for your glory, we're not arrogant enough to think that somehow you you, you couldn't take our failures and use them for good. And Lord, we're not arrogant enough to think that we don't need your death and resurrection on the cross. We're not holy enough on our own, but Jesus, you came. So, Lord, we repent of our sins. We turn to you, and we ask, God, that you would lead our lives, forgive us, strengthen us, help us to accomplish things we have no business doing because the Holy Spirit is strong in us, and you enable us. God, for anybody facing a hurdle in their life today, let us be able to go over that hurdle because of your greatness not our own god thank you for your your spirit your strength your anointing in our lives in jesus name and everybody said amen Amen. if you have not yet been baptized in water and you are deciding to believe and follow jesus that is clearly the next step in scripture make sure you stop by the information counter and say i want to get baptized i need to get baptized and we can help you do that it'll be marvelous If you're a member here, there's a meeting tonight. This kind of goes over the vision and some of the business side of the church, and we'd love to invite you to that as well. Make sure you're a blessing to someone before you leave today and encourage someone. And that includes you at home. Make sure you encourage someone today. All right? God bless you.